This has already been a very happy day for us as we have encountered so many of you that are dear, dear, dear friends. And it's just good to be back at uh, First Baptist Church of Clarksville. I worked with uh, John Latta to be in an interim basis. We tag-teamed back after Dr. Freeman had, uh, was redeployed. Uh, it's not retired. He's still so involved in ministry. And... Uh, those were good memories, and we thank the Lord for being here then. And I got to know a few years before I started being executive director, which was about 13 years ago, uh, right before I started that, I met Ken Spiceland. And uh, Ken became a dear friend, a great encourager. He served on our mission board, and just, uh, I miss him. I miss seeing him around here and miss his constant encouragement. But I got to tell you, I was thrilled as I could be when I heard about the day that uh, Dr. Ronnie Rains was coming here as pastor of this church. <laughs> love he and Angie. We love Angie a little more, but we love both of them a whole lot, and we appreciate them very, very, very much. And you're talking about him being in Brazil on a mission trip. You've got a couple that's a member of this church that are attending here. He's based here, and they've got three kids. And I saw her right before the service, had no idea they were here. Patrick grew up at First Baptist Church, Sevierville, where I pastored for almost a decade. He was very involved in a uh, mission trips we were making to Rio on a regular basis, and he wound up courting, dating, and marrying one of our translators from Brazil, and Patrick and Selma are here right up there in the balcony, and it's so good to see them, and thank you, amen, good to see them, and uh, I just want to say thank you for the ministry you have to our servicemen and women, uh, this is a strategic location, a strategic time, so thank you very much, and while I'm thanking this church, Boy, I want to thank you for the incredible investments you've been making the Great Commission work at home and around the world for many years. The figures you see up on the screen are just through four basic giving channels. It doesn't include nearly everything that you folks are investing in, but those four items alone, Cooperative Program, Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, all of those are mission endeavors. The GOTM is the golden offering for Tennessee missions. Every penny stays right here in Tennessee. I want to thank you for giving just through these channels over $16 million through the years. That's pretty incredible. You didn't know you were giving that much, did you? But more than anything else, these are just the folks that we know of that have been saved and baptized and set on the road to discipleship through the ministry of this church. Almost 7,100 people have been baptized right here at First Baptist Clarksville, and we praise the Lord for that eternal, eternal difference. I want you to turn to a pretty uh, familiar verse of scripture but you may not be familiar with the verses around these couple of verses and that's where God has laid on my heart to take us because I believe with all my heart the greatest problem in the world is spiritual lostness 
and the greatest problem in the church in North America is spiritual dryness. The world needs Jesus and the church needs a revival. Second Chronicles chapter 7, Second Chronicles chapter 7. And boy, I love the worship by John Mark and, and the worship team, the choir, the uh, instrumentalist. I appreciate your technical people running sound and, and all of these slides and stuff like that. I just appreciate all of them very, very much. I told some that were up here with the worship team, uh, Honey in the Rock, Honey from the Rock, I, I just love that song. It's relatively new, but I sure do like it. And I told them as I greeted a few of them, don't mess this up. <laughs> and they did not. They led us in worship really, really well. Would you mind standing in honor of the word of God? And we're going to start with Second Chronicles chapter 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 7. Just a few verses of scripture, but here's what I've got to have you do. Keep your Bibles open to this passage because we're going to be going back to chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at some other verses they'll be on your screen but there's something good about holding the bible in your hand and uh so you you just kind of hang in there with us and go with us on this journey god's going to bless your heart god may prick your heart and help you return to a place of incredible joy in your own life but in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, the Bible says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there's no more rain, or if I command the grasshopper to come and consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. God, I pray that... Um, we would have a holy encounter with you today. I pray we would not be distracted by anything hell would throw at us. I pray that which so disturbed us as we came onto this church campus would be turned into delight in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you be seated please? There's two basic points with some uh, sub points and the main point is this, the process to revival. And then the second point is the place where revival happens. Uh, process to revival, I mean the Lord lays out here a clear plan for us but you've got to understand the context. You've got to understand everything surrounding this prophetic word from the Lord and this process where we can go and have revival. Now, everybody wants joy. Everybody wants contentment. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants purpose. But from time to time, those of us that know the Lord, when we find that joy, when we find that peace, when we find that purpose, when we find that contentment, 
over a period of time, it's easy for us to lose it. It's easy for us to misplace it. It's easy for us to have that joy robbed from us because we battle an enemy called Satan that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. There may be many of you here today that look back on your life and you remember a time that you had more joy in the Lord. It's kind of like a couple that's been married a long time. Maybe the spark is not there that used to be there. Maybe the, the joy of being with each other is not there like it used to be. Listen, even marriages that have waned can be healed and the joy can be returned. God has said there, there may come a time out there, a matter of fact, he says when, in one translation, when this happens, if you follow this process, then I will return the joy. Um, everything is about context. For instance, if you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore at the beginning of a passage, beginning of a chapter in your Bible, the old adage is that you, when you see therefore, you see what it's there for. You understand the context. Have you seen those commercials by, about the insurance company, Progressive Insurance Company, where Dr. Rick is the one that's coaching these younger people how not to become their parents? Have you seen that commercial? I'm thinking about suing them. <laughs> I'm personally very offended by the commercials because every single one of them, it's like they've they followed me around. My grandkids tell me, uh, my oldest granddaughter who turns 16 next weekend uh, said to me one day, Papa, I have never got to 12. I've never been able to count to 12 before you start talking to a total stranger. <laughs> and I explained to my grandkids when they asked, Papa, why do you do that? Because everybody has a story. Everybody has context. You have something in your past that has shaped and guided you to where you are today. And I think it's incredibly interesting about how the Lord has orchestrated for you to get to where you are today. Everybody has context and everybody has a story. You get to these couple of verses over in Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 7 where the Lord said, when I send pestilence upon my people, when locusts devour the land, when you're in a drought, when you're going through all of this, that sounds pretty dire. That sounds pretty bad. When you get to this place, and then he says, if my people call by my name will do these certain things, humble yourselves, pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. But what is the context to those verses? I'm glad you ask. Turn to... First Chronicles chapter, uh, we'll look up in, in verse 1 to begin with of chapter 7. In verse 1 of chapter 7 it says, When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of God filled the temple. There are four things about the context that just absolutely stand out. One is the presence of God. The other is not only the very presence of God but the passion for God and the other will be we'll see in a moment is the people is the power of God and then the people of God turn to chapter 6 if you don't mind chapter 6 verses 10 and 11 so the Lord 
has fulfilled what he promised. I have taken the place of my father David and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God. Now notice this. He says, I have put the ark there where the Lord's covenant is that he made with the Israelites. The ark of the covenant always symbolized the presence of God. It was the very essence of God. It was everything that he meant to the people of God. Where the ark went, the people went. The ark was the very presence of God. And this magnificent temple built by Solomon along with his palace, at the very center of it and the core of it was the ark of the covenant. And this beautifully made box represented the very presence of Almighty God. To see the fire fall from heaven, to see the joy in the place, to see purpose and peace had everything to do with experiencing the presence of God in your life. You see, we know we've gotten to the place where we're living subnormal lives in our churches when we talk about, as we leave church, things that have little to do with the presence of God. For instance, when we leave a worship service, we talk about what we thought of the size of the crowd, or we talk about what somebody was wearing, or we talk about where we're going to eat lunch. Somebody will say, boy, I love that song, Honey from the Rock. Another one say, yeah, but I love Blessed Assurance. You have people with different perspectives, and that's what they normally talk about when they leave. What do you think of the preaching today? I sure miss Brother Ronnie. <laughs> so, I mean, when we leave this place, that's what generally we're talking about. What if we got to the place we didn't want to leave this place? What if we got to the place where when we left this place, all we could talk about was how God showed up and God showed out? What have we talked about? The manifest presence of God, unfettered, unexplainable, unusual, unhindered, manifold presence of Almighty God. What if we said his presence was there? We were in the presence of the Lord. The second part of the happy context was a passion for God. Notice verse 12 in chapter 6. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet high, and put it in the court. Now notice what the verse says. He stood on it. He knelt down in front of the entire congregation of Israel spread out his hands toward heaven. And this is what he prayed. Lord God of heaven, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps his gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You see, Solomon had an absolute passion for God. Solomon had a heart for God. And all the people followed the, the leader's lead. And all the people had a heart for God. The Bible says here, as Solomon prayed, these kind of people that follow you with all of their heart. It's not a Sunday morning issue with them, and it's a lifetime lifestyle issue with them. 
It is every way you look at their lives you see that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want you to know something very important about those verses I just read. The Bible says that the king, King Solomon, most powerful man in that part of the world, possibly on the planet at that time, certainly one of the wisest at that time, certainly one of the wealthiest at that time, made a box and he stood up on that box and even with his regal garments on, he raised his hands toward heaven and he knelt down on that box before all of the people in a public display of surrender to the lordship of Yahweh. He made a public declaration that the God of this universe was his God and there was no God like him. He had a passion, absolute passion for almighty God. Back in February for over two weeks at Asbury University, at Hughes Auditorium there, some students had gathered for a chapel and it was a normal chapel. And then most of the students went on to their classes and day, but there were a few students that stayed behind and they just wanted to spend more time in the presence of God, more time in prayer, more time singing hymns. And then as students were getting out of their classes, Word had spread about something happening at the auditorium and they started coming. And for hours, they prayed and they shared and they sang. For days, they prayed and they shared and they sang. Over the next more than two weeks, 20,000 people would come to that small town in East Kentucky and they would experience a manifold presence of God. It was a revival like we have not seen in over four decades. God's presence being poured out because the kids there, the students there had a passion. I've had several that went there and saw it. And they've reported to me, Brother Randy, it was, a, it was not an emotional event. It was a sacred event. It was not a fleshly event. It was a spiritual event where people so hungry for God and so passionate to see God's face, he poured out his spirit and he did a good work. I, some of you may have seen the Jesus Movement movie. I was a product of that movement. I remember as revival was pouring out over South Alabama that in the little community of Satsuma, Alabama, there were kids being saved left and right. A matter of fact, I remember like it was yesterday, one day during lunch, a young man named Joe Brew that had recently come to know Christ as Savior, a student stood up on a cafeteria table and started giving the plan of salvation and preaching about Jesus. And as he did, no teacher, no administrator pulled him off the table and told him to shut up. There was a freedom in the spirit at that moment. And when Joe, a new believer, finished sharing his testimony, what God had done in his life, something like two dozen students at that high school came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When God pours out his spirit, 
it is amazing but God pours out his spirit where there is a passion for God but then notice the power of God in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3, the Bible says that when Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of God filled the temple. The priests, because of the glory of God, were not e even able to enter into the temple. And the Bible says that all the people were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came upon the temple. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and praised God. And then that last line is the song they were singing. For he is good and his faithful love endures forever. They just don't want to leave. People of God are praising him the power of God is being poured out and there's something pretty unique about that. And then notice the people of God. All about the context, here's the people of God. In Second Chronicles 7, 8, and then verse 10, the Bible says, so Solomon and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance to Hamath to the brook of Egypt observed the festival at that time for seven days. Sounds like what was going on in Ashbury, Kentucky. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he, Solomon, sent the people home. It's kind of like when you're in church and you're hanging out with your friends, you're talking about all that God's doing and the, whoever's in charge of closing the place up starts dimming the lights. Kind of like y'all go home now. Solomon was like that. Solomon at the end of these days said, okay, let's go home. But notice how they are described. He sent the people home rejoicing with happy hearts for the goodness the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for the people of Israel. I don't know if that describes you and uh, the kind of fellowship you have with the Lord but the Bible says that they went home with happy hearts for the goodness of the Lord. They just kept on rejoicing with happy hearts. This is a happy context, isn't it? While pastoring First Baptist Church in Sevierville, there was a couple that had a condo in Gatlinburg and they would come over from Memphis and quite frequently they would visit with us in church. And I remember one, one Sunday they told me as they were leaving, we've been in a lot of churches and we've never seen this many happy old people. <laughs> Greatest compliment I think we ever got, happy old people. Don't you want to be a happy old person instead of a grump and a grouch? By the way, I'm not picking on old people. I've met plenty of every age that were grumpy. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. Well, you made us say amen. I got to being called out. These people had a joy. But listen, there's a horrifying contrast to this happy context. In verse 13, the Lord says, the Bible says this, if I shut up the sky, and by the way, there's more than one other translation that instead of using the word if there, it uses the word when. 
It is a prophecy from God. This is coming. There's coming a day, and the context of it is judgment. There's coming a day that I will shut the sky so there's no rain, and if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, and I will send pestilence on my people. God is saying this, this could very well happen. That I will send my judgment. There'll be a drought. There'll be a lack of food. You know, those kinds of things were foreign to us until we got to COVID in 2020. And then all of a sudden the supply chain, we didn't realize how weak the supply chain was and grocery store shelves were empty and it suddenly dawned on us about how a drought could be a reality and about a pestilence, a disease could be a reality that it affects so many. God says, when I judge. Now most people seem to be satisfied to live in this horrifying contrast to the happy context they believe that the subnormal is their new normal and that they got to live without joy they've got to live without peace and contentment they've got to live without purpose dr fred wolf was a mentor of mine and a dear dear friend he's in heaven now but fred wolf said this once and i wrote it down in the bible i'm preaching from today we have no revival because we are satisfied to live without it we have no revival because we're satisfied to live without it we don't hunger and thirst for what only god can do oh that there would be a people that publicly would bow their knee and hold their hands up like Solomon did and say, oh God, you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings and I submit my life to you. I surrender my life to you because I am hungry for you. But just as there is a horrifying contrast, God never leaves us in that position. He gives us a way out of that dryness, of that dullness, of that discouragement. He gives us a way out of that joyless existence. He's, this is where that famous verse comes in. If my people who bear my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, hear from heaven and heal their land. I'll forgive their sins. The, the, the course is simple humble ourselves saying God we don't have the answers God we've been trusting in our own ingenuity we've been trusting in government we've been trusting of others to give us what only you can give us pray and seek his face I know that here in Clarksville there is a group that has been meeting for well over a decade to two nights a week two nights a month they've been meeting and praying for revival in 2014 i visited all 95 counties in tennessee and one of the most encouraging things about having these prayer meetings at the courthouse was that i met people all over the state that have been gathering in small groups just seeking god and praying for revival hungry hungry for revival if we'll humble ourselves if we will seek his face and pray and turn from our wicked ways when are we going to get serious about sin when are we going to 
confess our lack of faithfulness. You know, LifeWay Research now considers, and this is just, uh, they're not declaring this, they're saying this is what people are saying, that if they're in church in one service once a month, they consider themselves to be a regular attenders. I consider them to be regularly backslidden. We, turn, we confess our sins, we turn from our wicked ways, we repent of it, and we come back to God. The Bible says in Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard the report about, your, about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. And then in Malachi 3, the prophet says, since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them God says, return to me and I will return to you. How do we return? We humble ourselves. We pray. We seek God's face. We repent of our sins. We confess them. And that's how we return to the Lord. That is the path. That's the process for revival. But let me close with this. What's the place of revival? What's the place of revival? Well, I'm going to go to the New Testament. And I'm going to read something Jesus said about the place of revival. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, enter into your private room, your prayer closet, shut the door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do you know what the little word reward means? It doesn't mean he's going to give you a participation trophy. The word reward there means this. It is more akin to restoration. It is more akin to restoring you to the joy and the purpose and the peace that you had in your life. Years ago, while pastoring First Baptist Van Cleve, Mississippi, where we served 13 years, I invited an evangelist from Missouri to come and preach. His name was Millard Box. And I wrote him a letter and I said, Dr. Box, how can I prepare the people to get ready for revival? And I thought he was going to send me some kind of strategic plan to uh, have a pack the pew night and to have a pizza night for the students and to do all of these activities during our meeting together. And he wrote at the bottom of the letter I sent him and sent that letter back to me. He wrote down, Pastor Randy, have your people get brutally honest with God if you want to have revival. In this moment, it's time for us to be brutally honest with God about where we are in our walk with him. If you're lost, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please face that. Because the Bible says these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life, that you're going to heaven when you die. In a moment, there'll be pastors that'll be standing here at the altar. There'll be some counselors that would want to come and and just pray with you. There'll be people that, you, that will receive you and pray over whatever's on your heart. If you are a, you've known the Lord for a long time, but you just want God to do a fresh work in your life, in North America, in this church, 
This altar is the place of surrender. This altar is the place you do what Solomon did and you publicly say, I want revival. And if you're here and you know the Lord and you're looking for a church home, I commend with all assurance and enthusiasm this church to you. Come and just share with one of the pastors, you know what, God is leading us to become a part of this fellowship. How can we do that? Let's all stand together and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time together. God, thank you for showing up. But right at this moment, there are people considering eternal matters. God, I pray like Solomon did before all the people made a public statement about his walk with you. I pray there'd be some that would come even to this altar and just stand in prayer and stand in awe in surrender. God, I pray that none of us would be secret about our love for you and about our hunger and thirst for revival. God, I pray right now for Brother Ronnie and the team in Brazil that God, you'd be so blessing them with a great harvest there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You step out and you come. If you want to come, pray for revival. If you want to come and make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ or unite with this fellowship, if you're feeling called by God into ministry, come. Make that decision. Would you come right now as we sing? Amen. Come.